Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the On the Forecheck podcast. I'm Nick Morgan from On the Forecheck, joined, as always, by the Woodstock to my Snoopy, Sean C. Smith. Sean. I'll take it, because, look, I can fly. You, well, I guess you can fly on that doghouse, though. Oh. Yeah, as if I'm the World War One flying ace. Right. Well, I mean, somebody's got to take out the Red Baron, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm, I'm fine with Woodstock. There's a lot less danger involved. I'll take it. I don't know. He's always the, the sidekick. Yeah, uh, one good. thing, because the, uh, the Peanuts Christmas, or not the Peanuts Christmas, the Peanuts Thanksgiving thing is coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you ever notice that Woodstock is eating the turkey? Am I the only one that thinks that's weird? No. Like the bird eating the bird. I, I grew up with birds. Um, long story. Not that interesting, but... You know, one of the you know what you regularly would feed birds because it's a good source, I believe, of calcium. I'm gonna guess other birds. Eggshells. That's different than eating a carcass of your brother. Eh. I don't know. Seems fine. Oh, this podcast is off to a great start. Birds, uh, birds don't have morals. It's okay. It is not. Uh, I wish they would play the Red Wings this week because this would be an easier transition. Uh, no idea how to get out of this. So I'm just going to say, hey, the Predators are in the middle of a six-game road trip right now. Oh, hey. Right. Uh, 2-1-1 one, and one so far this week. They have back-to-back games against Dallas and St. Louis, and then they end the week by coming back home sweet home to Bridgestone Arena against the Arizona Coyotes, Ooh. the Woodstocks of the NHL. Oh, okay. Here's the problem. I was fine with the uh, with with being Woodstock, and now you're comparing them to the Coyotes. But they have sweet uniforms. I'm offended. Well, they do. Yeah, there's solace, I guess. It's fine. Whatever. Go ahead. Yeah, no no more of this Woodstock talk. No Woodstock slander. Uh, yeah, Sean. What are your What are your thoughts on the past week of Preds hockey? I tell you what. It's it's uh it's been interesting and not interesting in the like well that's really interesting way but in the you know a lot of things you didn't really think you'd see I think you saw you saw the team win a game um that they they, realistically you could say they didn't really have any business winning oh yeah you you saw them saw them lose a game that really they probably uh probably should have won but it's it's been uh it's been interesting and I'll tell you I was very curious to see how the uh, first game against Chicago was going to go um, you know, after what I would have to say was total domination last season, you, you come back, you find a Chicago team that's in, in a bit of turmoil. I mean, not just with all of the massive 
horrific things happening off the ice, but the team's barely winning games on the ice. They're firing their head coach. And so you, you want to assume, I mean, I know I assumed probably incorrectly on a, on a different, on a different podcast yesterday, that that was almost a guaranteed win for the team. And it turned into a, and well, it was granted it was an overtime loss. So you do get one point, but it's still a loss. All important point. It's the, Hey, that point, you came away with a point. You're good to go. Right. Um, I think if there was any other team but the Blackhawks, and look, I think that's uh, this is probably an unpopular take, but I think right now the Blackhawks are probably a better team than their record would seem to indicate. Uh, I agree with that because I think there is a lot of high end talent on that team who is not playing like high end talent, and I think it's only a mad like you know Jonathan Taze isn't going to have zero goals for the entirety of this season. Right. Um, and Seth Jones isn't going to be a giant porous coral piece that just lets in goals left and right. Um, and, you know, Mark andre Fleury is probably not going to have an 870 save percentage at the end of the year. So, um, you know, take that for what it's worth. Uh, it kind of felt like maybe the Predators played down to their competition in that game. Like it, like it certainly was not like a great performance by any means. It wasn't like an outright bad performance, but yeah, it was just kind of, kind of whatever. Well, I, you know, you say it was an outright bad performance, and I say the saving grace was the third period. Those first two periods were pretty rough, and I don't mean, I don't mean like oh, it was awful, it was just terrible, but that you didn't see the Predators playing the game that they they've been playing all season, and I think if they played that game. They would have won, and I don't know why. Well, okay, let me rephrase that. I probably know why they didn't do it, and I think it was something that Hines alluded to post-game was that it's the end of a road trip. They're looking forward to a good day of rest the next day, which, you know, I, I understand. That's a that's a long road trip for three games to go all the way to the, the very end of the continent on the West Coast be there for a while with a time change, not just the time change time zone wise, but then a deal with daylight savings time in the middle of it, and then head back to Chicago when you're so close to home, play a game, and then know you're coming home the next day. I'm sure they were just tired. It makes sense to me. Um, you know, but that's, again, I think if you saw a different first and second period, or even if you saw a first period the way that third period looked, I think we'd be telling a different story right now. Yeah, I kind of said this on another podcast, but uh, it was objectively fun. Uh, And I throw the word objectively in there because if you're a fan of either the Preds or the Blackhawks, it was probably uh, heart attack inducing hockey. But if you're just a hockey fan watching that game, like (laughs) that third period was great. No, it was fun. It was kind of like, you know how it's like in the, the three on three overtime where, you know, you have like a two on one, one way and, you know, then you miss the net and it's a breakaway the other way. And then all oh, of yeah. a sudden it's a three on one the other way. It was like that, except at five V five, which, you know, probably shouldn't have had that many odd man rushes on a five V five, but you know, it was entertaining. Um, and, and like you said, I think there is something to be said that they battled back in that third period. Um, you know, they, they got a point out of it, which is, it's fine. You know, they're not going to hit a home run 
every single game and play like they did in Vancouver where he had like the 60 minute effort to me, that was the biggest takeaway of the past week was, you, you know, you saw how bad they were against Calgary. Yeah. Uh, squeaked out with a win in that one, which I think that's an important thing too, that, you know, they got two points in a game they should have been destroyed in. Um, and then, you know, they, they lost to Edmonton, you know, by a, a big score, but I thought they played, a lot better in that game. And then I think they put it all together in Vancouver. So to me, that was the biggest thing was you're able to kind of have a absolute dud of a game and then bounce back uh, at least two games in a row. You know, Chicago is what it was, but you know, that that's my takeaway is how you're able to kind of bounce back through the week. Yeah. It's all about, it's all about how you respond to whatever happened that game before. If, if you look back, you know, Hines talked a lot last season about not getting too high, not getting too low, and, you know, taking the lessons from the game and leaving it at that. Leave it in the past and move on. And I think that's the best thing you can do in that situation. You know, they they made it out of the road trip with a decent amount of points. I mean, sure, it wasn't, you know, all of the points you'd want, but they got a lot. So they're coming. They've got two more games on the road trip. I think they have a chance to – uh maybe come away with four points in my opinion. Well, this season uh, so far feels like the story has been the Matt Duchesne redemption tour. Uh, That that's a, uh, yeah, he's uh, he started his predators tenure being compared to Wayne Gretzky. And (laughs) now, now he's back on the all time greatest pace list. Yeah. Uh, but hey, I mean, you know, good to see Matt Duchesne at least hit his stride, especially after uh, how bad he was last year. Uh, I think, I think actually, yeah, this is true. Uh, only three, he only needs three points to match his total from all of last season. Ooh, wow. That's you know when you put it into numbers like that, that's uh, it's really, it's really, I don't want to say impressive because I don't think that does it a disservice. It's. It's really eye-opening. I it's guess impressive in a way. Uh, well, it's impressive that it it apparently can change so quickly from one season to the next. Um, you know, and I, I think what's important is that you know these these numbers he's putting up they're sustainable. It's not like he's uh, you know shooting more than he normally shoots. It's it's not like his uh, um, you know, numbers are just something, you know, sometimes you see a lot of scoring because someone's got a high volume of shots or something, but this is just, he's, he's actually finishing on the shots he's taking and he's, he's able to get the puck into the net this year, as opposed to last year where same pace, but no scoring. So I, I, I'm, I'm very excited about this. We, We said what, from the beginning of the season, that this is what you wanted to see out of the, that trio of, of Johansson, Duchesne, and Forsberg. And granted, we're not able to see Forsberg right now, um, but I think the other two guys are putting on a pretty good show. Yeah, Johansson with eight points. Um, and I think more importantly for Johansson's case, I think looking really well and getting a lot of good minutes, not just on offense, but on defense as well. Um, Duchesne, 10 points in 12 games. Uh, Forsberg with seven and nine before he went down. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing with Duchesne, it it felt like for the last two years, everybody in our little OTF circle was screaming, he's not playing bad. He's just snake bit. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, 
we had evidence to back that up, but I feel like the fact that he's kind of playing like, I don't want to say on par because he's definitely playing better than last year, but the fact that, you know, he's, he's playing as well as the past couple of seasons and he's finally getting some offensive output to show for it. I think that does kind of reinforce the idea of, you know what, like, Maybe he just wasn't in the right situation chemistry wise. Yeah. Um, you know, I think as somebody pointed out on Twitter, there's a big difference between playing with Philip Forsberg and Mikhail Granlund as opposed to Nick Cousins and Eric Howla. Big time. Big time. Uh, and you're, you're seeing that. Uh, you're reaping the rewards of that now, I guess you'd say. And, you know, chemistry is probably what. You, you could pin the blame on. And if, if that's the case, I'm happy to pin the blame on it and move on. And and you're seeing him produce. You're seeing Johansson play. Um, and he looks good. Maybe not as many points as Duchesne, but okay. He's right up there. He's right in the mix, as P.K. Subban would say. But <laughs> you've got two guys that are worth $16 million total uh, per season, and they're producing. So I don't I don't know that they're necessarily producing at the, you know, $8 million each per season line yet, but at least it's a lot closer to that line than it was. Uh, speaking of uh, high-paid centers, uh, Mikhail Granlund, the, qui- the quietest point-per-game uh, season uh, the Preds have probably had in a very long time. Oh, yeah. Very sneaky. Very yeah. sneaky. I love I love Mikhail Granlin. And I'll tell you, I think one of the things I like about him, and you, you didn't see this with him on the Predators as much until last season, but you definitely see it this season again, is that he is relentless in the way he attacks the puck. Whether No matter where it is on the ice, he's giving you everything he's got, throwing his entire weight and then some at the guy with the puck if the Preds don't have it. And he's getting to the net. He's causing dis- disruption up front. He's taking away the goalie's sight. He's doing everything he can do to get that puck in the net, whether it's with the puck or without the puck. And Man, I love watching him play. He is averaging just under 20 minutes a game as a Ford. Like, that is insane as a Ford. Um, and you're right. He's, he's somebody who does it all. Um, you know, I think when he was brought in, we kind of figured him to be a big score and we kind of underappreciated just how well-rounded of a player he was. But, um, you know, we talked about this before. It seems like whenever he's on the ice, the other team just kind of looks out of sorts. And I think that's a testament to just how aggressive he is. And he's somebody who always seems to be in the right place at the right time. Um, the thing with me, Sean, about Granlund, uh, and his numbers stats wise this year is it it feels like he should have a lot more than 10. Yeah. Because you look at his line mates, um, you know, Luke Cunning, not a great start. Ellie Tolvin in only two points so far this year. Um, so it, it feels like, you know, maybe if one of those two guys can kind of hit their stride and start finishing plays. Yeah, I mean, Granlin can easily be, uh, you know, finish the year in the 60, 70 range. Sure. I think it's possible. And I think with either one of those guys you just mentioned, I think there is a strong chance that at least one of them comes online pretty soon. Um, 
while I'm not going to say, you know, their, their production, again, production is not what you would want it to be. They definitely are looking more and more comfortable on the ice and on the team. And it's important to remember that Cunning's still pretty young. Um, so, you know, new to the team still kind of a weird season last season, but this season they've had a full training camp. They're going on actual old school style, you know, <laughs> road trips as a team. And I think the more he becomes comfortable with the team, the more Tolvanen becomes comfortable with the team and, and their line mates. I think you're going to see them start to perform at a much different level coming up soon. Speaking of performing at a much different level, can we give some kudos to Alexander Carrier this season? I would love to give him kudos. Because that is a guy, you know, coming into this year, I don't really think we knew exactly what to expect from Alex Carrier. Um, When we were, like, trying to figure out what the defensive pairings were, Sean, I feel like we were – we went from everything to he's going to be on the first line with Roman Yossi to, oh, he might wind up being like the seventh defenseman this year. And um, it, it feels like, yeah, I mean, yeah, like he's just been like really good no matter where he's been. I think the most impressive thing to me is he's juggled around. He's played with both Yossi and Ekholm yeah. and has kind of played a different style depending on where he is, which is impressive because remember that was kind of like the one knock on him last year. A little bit was, Oh, he's a very high end offensive guy, but he's a little bit of a one note player. Now it kind of just feels like he's really made, you know, made a home for himself on the roster and is really tearing it up. I, I think, you know, this is what's interesting to me is, and I've, I've said this numerous times about Carrier, is that when I first started covering the team, um, I went to the first, I don't remember if it was the, the Future Stars game or Development Camp game or Rookie Camp, or whatever it was, it's been a while now. But it was the first one that I got to go to and really be up close and, and watch everything. And I remember I, I said to myself, I'm going to watch Carrier today. That's who I want to see. I'm excited about seeing him. And, you know, he was playing in Milwaukee and he was he was doing a fine job. And I remember that he was the captain of whichever team he was playing on. And, and I don't know, I think there may have been a game against the uh, the Lightning's rookies or something like that. So he was cap- he was the captain of the team and he looked good. And I kept I was like, you know, why why aren't they calling this guy up? What's going on? I, I just didn't understand it. And and now that I'm several years into this, I, I really think you take his time in Milwaukee with Carl Taylor. And I think we talked a lot about this last season with guys like Olivier and Tolvanen and Janot coming up. We never really talked about it with, uh, with, with Carrier. And I think, you know, he was doing fine. He was producing well at an AHL level, playing a strong game. He was, he was an assistant captain on the team. Uh, even, even at the short time last season when the team was, not playing, and so a lot of the the Preds players went to the Chicago Wolves. He was a he was wearing the A on that team as well. But that time with Carl Taylor, I'd have to say, is probably what allowed him to round out his game more. And then coming into the uh, this season, having the off season, I feel like he put in the work. And I think hockey's kind of interesting in the sense that you can take your time off and really focus and come back a completely different player. 
Um, and of course you can also take your time off and not put in the work and come back a completely different player. But the thing that was, and I know I'm rambling here, but the thing that was most impressive to me um, when the team started back on the ice in the off season was how fresh and ready everybody looked. It seemed like this off season, the guys were like, you know what? We're going to go back. We're going to play a full season. Let's do this. Let's be ready. And I think that's what you're seeing with Carrier. Is he, he took his time. He put in the work this offseason, and now you're seeing that on the ice. He's rounded out that game, and uh, I'm, I'm happy he's out there. I think he looks great. It was worth the time for me, worth the wait. Yeah, he is. If there was any doubt about him being a top four defenseman uh, at the NHL level, I feel like the start of this year and really his end of last season – uh, has erased any shred of doubt. Um, one other defenseman that I kind of want to highlight, uh, and this kind of leads me to what has been an interesting topic uh, for Predators fans on Twitter, um, is the the bottom defensive pairing, because, Sean, we can't get through a season without talking about the stupid third pair of the Nashville Predators defensive core. I, you know, I, I go back to this every season is that you have to, I don't want to say lower your expectations, but you have to tender your expectations for that third, third pairing. And I, I will say over and over again on any podcast or video you put me on, I'm a champion of the third pairing. Those are my guys because I feel like in some alternate universe, if I were uh, able to uh, play hockey at, at the NHL level, which I'm clearly not, Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very, very short, rather, uh, rather rotund, but, um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure the best I could hope for would be to be like the seventh defender. And, you know, I say that from a place of, uh, just being realistic with, with what I could probably put out there. And I love watching those guys play because they're playing with a lot of passion, but it seems like, like you said, we can't go a season without some kind of issue uh, a, a sixth, a sixth defender, a seventh defender, even an eighth defender who yeah. just case, isn't, yeah. yeah, it just isn't getting it done on the ice. And for whatever reason, the team continues to play them night in and night out. Um, but are we rounding a corner, Nick? Yes. Um, I okay. I really like what the third pair has done this year. Um, and I'm going to remove a certain player from that equation. I, I don't think I have to say which one, but, um, you, yeah, you look at what the third pair has done. It, it seems like the past couple of years, and maybe this is where some of the criticism has come in. It's kind of just felt like an afterthought. It's just like, Oh, here's two guys to kind of fill the roster. Yeah, uh, it feels like Heinz has been using, especially Benning and Borvietsky, a little bit more this season. You know, they're I think I don't have the exact tools in front of me, but I think they're playing around 15, 16 a game um, and they're getting a lot of penalty killing time, which was something yeah. Heinz uh, and even Laviolette the season before um, was very hesitant to do. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing, Sean, is. You know, we, we've talked about this before. You don't expect your third pair to kind of be the, you know, the champions of the team. And, you know, you, you're not expecting them to be Roman Yossi reincarnate. But 
you know, you do want good minutes from them. And we, we've seen it before, like, you know, teams like the Blues who won the Cup a few years before and then uh, Washington a few years before, Tampa Bay the past two years. If you can get, like, just effective minutes of any kind from your third pair, then you're going to have a very good chance to be a good team. Right. And, and it feels like that's what Conniv is doing this year. Betting and Borvietsky have been fantastic on the penalty kill. Um, Phil Myers, because I want to talk about Phil Myers for a little bit. He came in and put some really good minutes together uh, the other night in Chicago. Oh, I agree. Uh, you know, and that was the thing. I think everybody was kind of clamoring for some kind of change and saying, "Let you know, we as a team have traded away Ryan Ellis, which I, I can't talk about without tearing up yeah. um, for a variety of reasons. Your bearded friend. My bearded friend, my, my son's favorite player, my son's special buddy. Um, you know, always quick with a puck over the glass and a fist bump or a shoulder check into the glass for him when he was down on the ice for the games. But traded him away, and, and in return, you get two guys. You get, uh, of course, you get Cody Glass. Um and you get Phil Myers, and neither one of those guys have been playing. One of the one of them is uh, is in Milwaukee, which you yeah. know we've talked about that at the beginning of the season. I'm still at peace with that. I think that's okay. I think that's what's best. Right. But uh, Phil Myers has strangely been hanging on at the NHL level um, as as the eighth defender, um, and then you see the injury to to Borvietsky, and then you see Harper coming into play instead of Myers, and it's it's caused a lot of people to say, what's going on? Why aren't we seeing Phil Myers? Let's get him out there and see what he can do. And I think, you know, when that finally happens, everybody goes, oh, okay, well, they're going to play Phil Myers. I think a lot of people were expecting, and, and if I'm wrong here, tell me, I think a lot of people were expecting him to come out and play and just have some obvious reason why he hadn't been playing. Like maybe he's just... Yeah, just yeah. something's way off or, you know, he's just not 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 in it. Or, you know, maybe he had a concussion he sustained in practice and there's just not saying anything about it because it was in practice. You know, they play those injuries very close to their chest yeah. um, with that kind of stuff. So but he comes in. I think he has a great game. I think he looked more comfortable as the game went on. Wouldn't you say so? I would say so. Yeah, that was, I think, kind of the confusing thing about Myers to me is, you know, John Hines said, well, it was kind of unfortunate that he wasn't getting a lot of chances and we want to get him chances. Um, But it didn't. I I think the thing that probably upset a few fans was he didn't do anything outrageous to kind of fall out of the lineup, if if that makes sense. It does. Um, And and I think because, you know, you've talked to Hines probably more than anybody in our circle and, you know, you know, he's a guy who's very big on next man up mentality guys, you know, taking advantage of chances, unsung guys earning a spot in their lineup. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, I think the thing with Myers is you obviously invested a lot of resources into bringing this guy. I mean, not only was he part of the Ryan Ellis trade, but yeah, he also used a spot to protect him in the yeah. expansion draft. So obviously they think highly of him, but it it seems like they soured on him after three games. And we we brought about the, you know, we talked about, you know, him giving 
Hines giving people chances. Um, and it was kind of confusing as to why somebody like Ben Harper, who is Ben Harper, but has a very kind of set ceiling would kind of get these repeat chances more than a guy who might be a top four defenseman for you. Right. I know I rambled, but you know, let me know if that argument makes sense. The argument makes sense. And and the only, like the only thing I had thrown out that, that I thought made any, any kind of, you know, logical sense was, you know, Myers started the season wearing a cage. He had a bandage on his nose. We never really got the story on that. Um, you know, and so my thing is, if, if that's the case and they want someone to come in and play a very heavy in your face physical game or a physical role on that third pairing, you know, maybe they're trying to say, let's let all that heal up to where you feel comfortable out there without the cage on or where you feel comfortable in that role and we'll send you out there. And, and maybe that was just time for it. Maybe, you know, they were saying to Ben Harper, let's, you know, you, you played a lot with the team last season. We've got some guys maybe ready to come in. You had an off season to do what you can do to, to come up to speed, to be better. And, you know, Borowiecki's out. Let's see what you can do. They gave him a few games and said, okay, maybe we need to go with somebody else. You know, we don't know what's happening behind the scenes. Right. Um, you know, as much as you say, well, you know, I've talked to Hines. I mean, they don't, they don't talk to us about that kind of stuff. And honestly, if that was a question we were going to ask, I don't know that we would get the answer we really wanted. I think it would be a lot of, I don't want to say smoke and mirrors, but I think it would be a lot of, you know, like, well, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, guys who are on the bench have a chance to come in and play. Guys are getting their chances. We want to make sure they have ice time, keep them in game shape. I mean, that's the kind of answer you're going to get. There's nothing wrong with that answer, but it's a really nice way of saying, I'm not going to tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's when have we ever known hockey coaches to be blunt and transparent? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the other thing we've, the theory that's been kind of kicked around on the, the interwebs um, is that Phil Myers is a right-handed shot. And the right side of your defense core has been very, very solid this season. So, you know, you didn't want to play him on the left side or have two right-handed shots, which I I guess makes sense from a strategy standpoint, except left-handed pairs, lefty with a lefty all the time. Yeah. Um, So, you know, whatever i guess he got a chance and he played well i think that's yeah. that's the phil myers takeaway well I'd, I'd like to see what happens in the next game yeah um speaking of third pair matt benning oh man i know you want to talk about this guy oh man i can't wait to talk about this guy oh i'm gonna tell you what like i i everyone knows who knows me knows that i absolutely loved and adored tony Batetto. Like that was just, that was a known thing, right? Like that was, I couldn't wait. I picked him for first goal of the game, every game. Um, I, I was lucky enough uh, several years ago to uh, win one of his jerseys. I got a chance to, uh, to go down on the ice and get the jersey from him. It was, it was awesome. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how much I love Tony Botetto. And since he's been gone, there's been what I thought was a Tony Botetto sized hole in my heart. <laughs> but what I realized oh, was that the size of that hole is Matt Benning sized. Huh. 
and and now that he's here and he's playing on the team and I, I think he's doing an outstanding job um I feel a lot better I, I feel like I feel like I've got everything I need when I'm watching hockey uh you know Matt Binning in my opinion I think he came in undervalued I think everyone just assumed that he was you know a lot of people forget that a lot of these guys are young we've gotten used to having some older players having an older team. Sounds like someone just had an idea. I like that. Um, There you go. (laughs) But I think it's important to note, you know, he's fairly young coming in, hadn't had a lot of time and opportunities to really show who he was going to be on the ice at Edmonton. Um, And when he comes to, to Nashville, it was clearly packaged, set up to be with Borowiecki and they developed a great chemistry. And of course, Borowiecki didn't play for the majority of the season last season. And what I think that did was it allowed Matt Benning to come into his own as a force on the ice. You saw him play strong defensively. You saw him really step into the role of, of not taking crap off of anybody. Um, really, and it's it's like, a, you know how you can see when Eckholm's angry, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's it's one of my favorite things. You can't tell when Benning's angry, but he acts just like Eckholm does. He'll grab a guy, he'll get in his face, he'll talk crap to him, he'll push him, he'll shove him. And he's, I mean, I don't remember who he fought last season, but that's one of my favorite fights of all time. He was just down on him and just wearing him out. If you could, if you could tell me who that was, that'd be great. But here's the thing. That shot that he took, that he put the puck on the net to pop off of Tanner Janot and get it in the, oh man, woo. You're talking about offensive upside now. I mean, the, what what more could you ask for in a third pairing defender? Tell me right now. That that's it. That's what you want, and he's killing it. Love it, and I know that he can play up if he needs to. And I think that's the biggest yeah. thing you've got to say is that yeah, okay, great, he's great on the third pair. But what if somebody gets hurt? You need him to move up. He can play there too. He has no I- problem playing more minutes, and he's strong defensively. I'll take it. Uh, the fight you're talking about it was against Noel Achari. Yeah, from no, uh, one of the Florida games last year. Yeah, there's so many Florida games. You know who Matt Benning kind of reminds me of a little bit? Who? Kevin Klein. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Uh, just sort of that unsung role, you know, back yep. when the the you know Preds had Shea Weber coming up and uh, Ryan Suter was was back there as well. Yeah, I mean he's a yeah, he, he's kind of a guy that doesn't do a whole lot just in terms of offense. He's not the flashiest guy. But whenever he's out there, he does his job very, yes. very well. Um, and and just, a, just a pure shutdown player, too. I mean, late, it's, it's not a coincidence that Hines is putting him on the ice when you're up one late in the game and you yeah. need to survive a flurry of chances. I, I tell you, you know, I just, the reason that when they picked him up, I started paying attention to him. And I know this sounds stupid. This sounds absolutely stupid. Was that, you, you know what he did with his time when everybody was off for, for COVID, you know what he took advantage of that time and did. Uh, I don't, but I feel like you're about to tell me. Went back and finished his degree. Oh. And that's smart. And I think he's a smart player, not just, you know, for doing that, but I think he's smart on the ice. And I think he no- he does what he can to leverage his skills to get the most out of his time on the ice. And uh, 
I, I don't know. I'll, I'll just say this. If I could get anybody on the team on the show to talk to, it would be Matt Benning. Oh, yeah. Uh, Matt Benning, if you're listening, please come on and be a guest. Just let me know. Just let me know. Yes. We'll make it happen. Uh, well, the Predators have a few more games this week. We're going to talk about what we expect to see. But first, Sean, it's trivia time, man. Oh, man. You ready for this? I don't know. Well, it also leads us into our next one of our next topics. Uh, Pecorine, okay. our good buddy, he has his jersey is going to be retired. That wasn't a sentence at all, was it? Wow. I don't know. Nick. Um, let me re- let me restart that. Um, Pecorine is going to have his jersey retired. We all know he wore number 35. Who are the two other players in franchise history to wear number 35 in a regular season game? Oh. You might have to go through the archives for this one, buddy. Yeah, I am I am I supposed to guess like right now or are we gonna take a break? What are we're we gonna, gonna take do? a break. So you, okay. you get a you get a minute to to get your wits about you. Okay. So we'll we'll see what you can come up with after the break. Okay. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Sean. Uh, who are the only players other than Pecorine to wear number 35? I have no idea. In in my head, there's only one number 35, and that is Pecorine himself. Well, we're going to have the last number 35. It's true. No one other than him. Um, the other guys, both goalies... One is Eric Fischoed. Okay. The other is Jan Lasek. Oh. Uh, Fischoed started the Preds' inaugural season as the number two goalie. Uh, kind of more or less broke his arm, shoulder, something like that. Uh, some pretty severe arm injury, and he wound up missing the entire year. And Thomas Vokun came up from Milwaukee and was like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to take the backup job if that's okay with you. Um, and then, yeah, Jan Lasek, a, uh, another Milwaukee guy kind of made spot appearances between Chris Mason's 50 different stints with the predators. <laughs> um, but you know, he was a, he was a fun Milwaukee guy and made a couple of start appearances for the Preds. So hmm. there you go. There's your history of number 35. Wow. 
what number would you like to learn about next listeners uh tweet us and let us know have some have some uh bombs on number 55 if anybody Ooh, wants to listen wow i don't know that's a different different podcast though different deep dive <laughs> um yeah hey uh do you want to talk about pecorine for a little bit yeah you got to talk to him this week always um let, let me you know do do me a favor okay all right and uh let me collect my thoughts for just a moment you, okay. you really surprised me with this one. Oh, um what's the rundown um no just just do me a favor give me just a second and i want you i want you to tell me your favorite pecorine memory my favorite memory yeah. or just or moment okay one. um let's see my favorite are we, okay are we talking in general just like a single game or or just like a like a oh okay let me let me tell you this uh favorite memory is probably the oh it sounds cliche but the last his last game i think that's kind of my lasting memory um and just it was like kind of a good sum of his entire career just to kind of get that moment at bridgestone yeah um i i would say maybe my first memory of pecorine was the chicago series in 2010 okay yeah um because that was sort of the first time that i looked at rene and was like oh you know what the preds i think have something here yeah um and you know that was a very very back and forth series and i just remember him you know surviving you know a chicago team that probably should have killed the preds in four games and then they came arguably a very dumb choice on a power play from maybe winning that series and i think that was kind of like the first time that renee stood out to me Okay, I think that's fair. You know, I, I'll tell you this was you know when I think of when I think of Pecorino, and this this is going somewhere. Yes. Um, uh, when I think of Pecorino, I think about how uh, from the time my my daughter's about to turn twelve, and from the time that she was born, um, he's been the guy, right? Um, yeah. He's been the guy in the net. And uh, I don't know. I think it's interesting. You know, from my perspective, of course, there's there's a time before Pecorine, but for her, there's never been a time without him. Um, and so you, you think about how that is uh, for a, a young fan. Um, you know, and I think about my own baseball fandom growing up, um, you know, with, with the Oakland A's and having a few certain players that were there. And, and when one of them may or may not have been traded to the St. Louis Cardinals, I was just like, wait, hold on. This can't be right. There's no, there's no Oakland athletics without Mark McGuire. Um, you know, and so I think for my daughter and, and, you know, even for my son, you know, just they, they've always known Pecorine to be there. And I think what a, what a great time it's been for them to be uh, learning about hockey and learning about the Predators and becoming hockey fans to know that they're always going to have that dependable backstopper back there and just an outstanding person off the ice as well. It's been so consistent 
in their childhood memories of hockey. And I think, you know, to, for them to get to see his number retired and to see that he's being rewarded, not just for what he was able to contribute on the ice, but off the ice as well, is really just setting a really high benchmark for what's required for someone to have a number retired in Nashville. That being said, the past several years of covering this team um, and coming in as someone who was a fan for a long time before I ever started covering the team, it's been hard to learn that healthy sense of disassociation between, you know, liking a team and wanting them to do well while also trying to cover them and be critical. And I think what was exceptionally hard for me was that um, I, you know, I was at his last game. Um, I was at his last game as, as a media member. And I think what was hard, hard about that was, you know, you're not, you're supposed to be neutral. And because that's the way it ended for me is that, you know, I hadn't, I had an opportunity to talk to him when he announced his retirement, albeit it was brief. Um, and, and realistically, you know, I got the last question of that, that media call, uh, back over the summer. And I asked him, you know, if he knew anything about his future with the team. And he's like, I haven't even thought about that yet. I'm just ready to get home. And so I, I kind of got that feeling. It's like, you know, as, as a teacher, you know, a student catches me <laughs> three 45, I'm out the door <laughs> and they're like, Oh, Mr. Smith, talk to me about I'm like, no kid, like uh, we're not friends. Like I'm going home. Um, <laughs> not on the clock right now. And I, I felt, I felt kind of bad. And so when they, they made the announcement that they were going to, um, retire his number, which I think we all saw coming. Everybody saw it coming except for Pecorine, apparently, um, which just tells you how humble he is, you know, right. honestly. And they had availability. I was really excited to talk to him um, because, you know, it's it's one thing to, to have your number retired, but to be the first one to have it retired. Um, and there are a lot of teams that are new that have already retired numbers. Um, but I feel like the Predators waited for the right, exact right person to set that tone. And it was so surprising to me. I logged in to the Zoom call 10 minutes before it was supposed to start and just sat there and waited. Um, and then when he popped up, he was adjusting the camera and, and all this stuff. I, I think he may have been doing it on his phone. And He's uh, in his childhood bedroom. Yeah, and he, he had a smile on his face that I'd seen him happy before. Um, but, you know, I saw joy. And, and I think it was... I think it was that time and space between the announcement over the summer and finding out about this, this Jersey retire, the number Jersey retirement um, has given him the time and space to ease into what retirement is and start to enjoy the things he was hoping to enjoy. And I think getting the chance to come back and talk about this a little bit, um, you know, several months past, excuse me, past the decision, uh, he looked happier than I've ever seen him look. And I'm talking about from the time he won the Vesna um, to the times when he was, you know, called back out on the ice to talk after a win, when he was the first star of the game after, you know, land, you know, milestone wins and milestone shutouts and, and things like that. After goalie goals, he looked happier in my opinion to talk about being able to spend time with his son and with his family, he was at his parents' house. Um, then he had looked for any of those things. And I think it's nice to see that on the other side of an outstanding career, 
you know, what's going to be a legendary career in Nashville forever. Right. That there is, you know, he had total peace with his decision. He walked away at the right time. He doesn't regret what he did. And he was so happy just to, to update everybody. He, you can tell he misses the fans. And, and I think there's something here to this. You know, he was in <laughs> just randomly because this this wasn't something, you know, that they'd had planned with him for, for weeks or months. Um, he was still pretty surprised by it. Um, they happened to be visiting his parents. And where did he go to, to make the call? He went into his childhood bedroom, which is very modest very modest right. and sat down and, and had this little zoom call and he was very happy to show the room off a little bit. And it was brief, but he showed where his father had collected all of his jerseys throughout his career. And, and I, I love that. He said, Oh, there's some other stuff over here. And he kind of flashed the phone over and it looked like the Vesna was sitting there, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just some cool stuff over here. Um, amongst, you know, uh, there were some baby footprints, and things like that. And, and I have to say, you know, it's, it's amazing that I think in that moment where he, he looked over at the jerseys and, and was kind of laughing about the fact that his dad had collected these throughout his career, kind of thinking it was silly almost. Um, I think he realized that now he's also a father and he's just as proud of the things that he's seen his son do just in his first year or so of life um, yeah. as his dad is of all of these incredible athletic accomplishments that, that, that Pecorine has accomplished um, throughout his career. And I think it just kind of hit him at that moment that, and he even said, you know, you realize how important it is to have, you know, the closeness with grandparents and things like that. And I, I don't know, it was just, it was a beautiful moment from just an outstanding person just to stand up, absolute gem of a person. Um, and you know, it was nice. To, yeah. It was nice to hear him that he was excited about the, the Jersey retirement. He's, he's excited to come back. He's planning on being here in a few weeks to see some games in Nashville. Um, but he's really looking forward to seeing the fans. And uh, I think he missed, I think he missed everybody, but I think he's 100% enjoying his retired life. Yeah. And we want nothing but good things for him. And we want him to have the world, you know, you, you you hear stories from certain players and, uh, you know, you, you kind of hear people kind of being unfulfilled without hockey or they, they get out of the game and it's like, oh, well, I don't know what's next and, you know, this and that. And, you know, players kind of wind up going back in around the game. Pecorine, just based on what I've heard, sounds like somebody who is legitimately ready for something else and in no means am i going to compare myself to pecorine at all but you know i was in the television industry for 10 years and you know anybody who knows that kind of industry you know you work holidays you work weekends um you know you don't really have a solid social life because one day you're working overnight hours the next day you're working 3 p.m. to midnight. Um, and I remember when I got out, like those first like six months, I was kind of worried, am I going to like miss it? Am I going to come back? Um, and then in those six months, you know, I 
went home for Christmas for the first time in a very long time. I did a random road trip to see some friends I hadn't seen in a very long time. And I kind of just felt like, you know, this one thing that was part of my life for so long, it was a good reminder that there's other stuff out there. Yeah. I know this has nothing to do with hockey and nobody listening cares right now, but that was kind of the vibe I got from, from Pecorino and it kind of hit home for me in that moment. It was like, you know, this, this thing you've done your entire life, this thing you've kind of been working yourself towards, um, then, you know, once you're done, you kind of realize you start to appreciate little things that you missed, you know, it, over the course of your like entire career. And that's what I feel like Pecorine is at. And, um, you know, I got the sense from listening to his press conference that he's very content and yeah. he's starting to rediscover uh, fun things about his his life and. You know, we wish him the best. We really do. 100%. Yeah. Well, moving on back to current Predators hockey stuff. Uh, As we mentioned at the top of the show, three big games this week on the road against Dallas, who is looking like a bad hockey team at the moment. Um, Then another game at St. Louis, who is looking like a good hockey team at the moment. And then finally on Saturday, back to Bridgestone Arena for the first time in two weeks, they take on the Arizona Coyotes. So, Sean, what are you hoping to see in these next three games? Well, I want to see, of course, I want to see 60-minute efforts. Um, I think really that's going to be the benchmark for a game that the team wins versus the games that the teams lose. Um I think if you see this team play a full 60 minutes, regardless of their opponent, they're going to win or they're going to give everything they have uh, to stop the other team from winning. And I know that sounds kind of silly, but you know, you, you have to be realistic with this is what the team is right now. Is there, you know, they're right around 500. Um, and I think, you know, you saw a game like the one against Chicago and you said, you know, Dallas is looking like a pretty bad hockey team. Well, Chicago is looking like a pretty bad hockey team too. Yeah. It shouldn't Granted, no, I mean, but you, you said they you don't think that they are going to remain what they've been. There's some players that are going to break out. There's some things that are going to change, but the reality is they would have continued to look like a bad hockey team. If you'd seen a full 60 minute effort from Nashville. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. Yeah. And so I think that regardless of their opponent, let, let's take Dallas. They're looking like a pretty bad hockey team. They're right below Nashville in the standings. You see them come out and play 60 minutes, I think they go down pretty easy, right? Um, one would hope. One would hope. You know, same same with the Coyotes, right? Again, one would hope. One would hope, but, that, but that's the thing is I think if you go out and you get a full 60-minute effort, it's going to be hard to stop this team. And when I say hard to stop, I don't mean that's a guaranteed win in the in the in the standing or you know two points in the standings. But I think it's a guarantee that the other team, if they do win, is going to have to fight really hard to make it happen. Yeah, I think we're still waiting uh, for that full start to finish sixty minute effort. We've seen it a few times this this season, which has been a good sign. Uh, you definitely don't want to see them, you know, 
play to their level of competition, you know, put no. an absolute banger together against the blues and then follow it up with, you know, a, a so, so game against the coyotes and you're yeah. keeping in it. So, but yeah, that, that to me is that, uh, discipline, discipline is something I want to see. Um, the predators penalty kill has been good, but it seems like they're good because they're getting a lot of experience killing penalties. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't love, I don't love what's been happening penalty wise. Yeah. Um, and like you said, you, you know, they're getting some good penalty kill minutes, but ideally, you know, you, you end up overtaxing other players on your team, making them play longer minutes, more minutes. It has an overall negative effect. Even if you're killing those penalties, it can come back and bite you at the end of the game. So something you want to see get under control. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks for that. I think you said it best uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's like you want them to play with an edge, yeah. but you don't want them to cross that edge. And it seems like they've been crossing the edge. It seems like a lot of penalties are like away, not away from the play, but, you know, there's those obvious penalties where you're going for a loose puck and you happen to trip a guy versus, you know, you're behind the play and you just cross check the hell out of a guy for no reason. Or let's say that you are trying to get off the ice for a change and a very, I don't know, very popular player happens to get in your way. That is true. That's something we've seen happen. That's 100% the other player's fault and certainly not Colton Sisson's fault. No, uh, no, as Colton Sisson's mom can attest to that. I No, but she was right. And, and you or whoever tweeted that was wrong. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that right now. Uh, that was me who tweeted it. Yeah. Uh, I uh, go ahead. It's yeah, fine. I feel, I feel dangerous. Stand, I feel, stand no, sorry. Feel so I, good. I'm going. I'm going to say agree to disagree, mm. and then leave it at that. Oh. Okay. Well, speaking of tweets from people, oh. uh, do we want to get to some viewer questions? Yeah. Or follower questions. Listener questions? Yeah, whatever you call podcast people. Yeah, before we do, I just I just want to say on behalf of Nick uh, to Debbie Sissons, he's really sorry. Um, he's got a little bit too much pride to admit when he's wrong. Oh, don't put words in my mouth. Okay. Uh, Colton Sissons, great guy. Great guy. I love Colton Sissons. I do too. It's a fervent uh, passion. Yes. All right. Hey, listener questions. Uh, here's one from Kyle Perkins. Okay. How do you feel about the Predators playing seven defensemen Wednesday night and putting Harper back in to replace Cousins? I don't know. If, I don't know how I feel about that specific thing, but Predators playing seven defensemen is a choice. I don't know. I mean, is Cousins, like, is he out? I mean, I know he left the ice. We didn't get an update post-game, but I haven't seen anything that says that he's he's going to be missing for an injury. I haven't either. Uh, yeah, I guess so we'll probably know more before the game. Yeah, I guess we're saying if, if that were to happen, you know, um, if that were to happen, I don't think it gets to that point. I think at, the, at that point they put somebody on the – IR list and they make a call up. Yeah. I think think that's what you do. Um, Yeah. You know, and granted we're not living in the magical world of the, of the taxi squad. 
anymore, which was to, to me really a, a nice, necessary, and useful thing last season. Um, without having to worry about you know sending guys back and forth the, to the AHL, um, you know I I guess for me you do run the risk of bringing up somebody and then having to have them clear waivers, which is always a concern. Um, but I feel like there would be some kind of contingency plan in place if that were the case. Realistically, I think you you would be more likely to see an eighth defender being sent down to Milwaukee in order to bring up another forward than you would to see them play seven defenders and have Harper on the ice and be down a forward. I would assume so, but then you'd lose Harper on waivers. I know some people would be heartbroken about that. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's when waivers are involved, it's, it's a difficult thing. Um, that kind of, uh, ties into another question we've got. Okay. Uh, this is from Mike Mack. Uh, do you have an idea of why they're not placing Forsberg on IR if he's considered week to week? Um, Sean, to me, I think, feel like that just suggests that, um, uh, they don't think it's going to be a very, very long-term thing. Yeah. And, and I think you have to remember too, like we had just kind of mentioned, whether you put a guy on IR or not, you're still going to have to call someone up. And if you call someone up that is not exempt from waivers, they're going to have to clear waivers straight up. Major concern. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's probably why um, I am not sure if this was addressed to us or somebody else, but they tweeted at OTF. So I'm saying it's fair game. Okay. Um, this was about an article on Dante Fabro. Uh, Holtz on hockey asks if you see there's any way the Predators would consider trading Dante Fabro. And I think the only reason I could think of that they would would be a deal for probably a Ford in the same spot in his development. But I also don't see that happening. No, I don't see it happening either. I think uh, I think the defensive cuts were already made, um, and they and I think they hurt. I think they like what they've got. Um, I don't see why. Well, you know, I, I do see a scenario in which they would be willing to trade him, and that is in a tank scenario, which I don't think we're going to see. Yeah, um, yeah, but I, I feel like the Predators are very. Uh, invested in Dante Fabro, and I think Dante Fabro has played well this season. So uh, we'll see how that is. Um, this is my favorite question so far. Okay. It's a good one to end on, Sean. Okay. Um, our buddy Justin Bradford. Okay. Love the guy. He wants to know what one song played by an intermission band will get you, Sean, the most hyped. I don't know. I'll, t- I'll tell you. It's funny because. You know, with uh, with the media area being much more open um, this season because they're allowing more people in, I think we have assigned seats, and so it appears that I'm sitting, or I myself and Brian will be sitting between Justin Bradford to our left and Alex Doherty to our right, um, which you know, which makes for some interesting conversations. I feel like I'm sitting between a couple of guys who really know their stuff and have been doing this for a long time. Um, and I think I know why he's probably asking this question is because 
Yeah, there's a story behind this. Well, you know, here's the thing. Um, when the season opened up last season and they were not allowing fans in, um, they still had the small-time rock stars playing at intermission. And you're probably wondering, why would they do that? I don't know. Maybe, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking there's going to be an opportunity to actually hear the story behind this in the near future um, for reasons we may or may not reveal uh, soon. But um, they were kind of playing to an audience of like 10 people, and that was us up on Media Row. And I made sure after every performance, I cheered as loud as I possibly could, huh. which led to them pointing up to the uh, to the media row, like, thanks for the support, guys, because <laughs> I, I, I'll be honest, I've played some shows for a crowd of 10 and it wasn't that exciting, um, but they played with full energy and we try to give them that energy back. So um, they were taking requests because literally we were the only ones there. And so I would just, you know, randomly request songs. With that band, with the small-time rock stars, I like to hear a good classic rock medley. Something with good guitar work. And it was funny, the song I requested, which uh, they, they told me was not part of their uh, part of their catalog, was Hot for Teacher by Van Halen. Ooh. You want to get me fired up, play Hot for Teacher. You have to have an elite <laughs> drummer to pull that off. They'll be fine. These I mean, guys, that's guys Gross. That drum beat at the beginning of that is is killer. That's that song is that's that's a high quality song. Love it. Uh, what are the odds that a uh, uh, intermission band will ever break out Freebird? Just, I don't know. Just play one song. That's just one set. Like your second intermission. Hmm. Somebody might do it. And, you know, they, they do bring in guests and things like that. And if they, you know, if they had, uh, you know, somebody from, well, I mean, let's see, who's even singing for Leonard Skinner these days? Uh, the dude from, what was it? The five finger, five finger death punch, that guy. Uh, potentially. I mean, if, if for some reason they brought in somebody that had something to do with the band, I could, I could see them doing it. I'll tell you, I'll tell you another, another situation. I- I don't think Leonard Skinner is going to be performing at intermission of the Nashville Predators game. I wouldn't put it past him. You never know who's going to show up in Nashville. Think yeah. about that. I mean, there's been some pretty incredible musicians that have come in and played with the uh, with with the small time rock stars. Matt Duchesne. <laughs> yeah. Go for the, go for the uh, the double header. Why not? Why not? Listen, I'm going to say this though. There's another band that plays intermission sometimes, Sam McCreary in the mix, and uh, a little bit of a different vibe. Um, and I'm going to tell you, they play a pretty mean uh, Morris Day in the Time, Jungle Love. Oh, man, you want to get me going. That song gets me fired up, too. So, you know, depending on the band, I want to hear Hot for Teacher or Jungle Love. All right. So, uh, so next game, next home game, let's add that. Okay. Well, I'll I'll talk to the I'll talk to the guys about it. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Let's get the set list going. Yeah, uh, hockey, hockey Spotify. Yeah, definitely. But the what what about? I'm curious now that the uh, the questions out there. What would get you fired up? Freebird. Oh, like just give me one. Yeah, because like I can like 
have like something soothing, you know, like the first little like breakdown as I'm like in the stands getting my nachos or my funnel cake, whatever, kind of like rock back and forth. Yeah. And the little Bridgestone Arena concourse. And then by the time I'm back in my seat ready for hockey, you know, you, you have the guitar solos that span for probably three minutes into the intermission. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like they can they can wrap up that song as like the players are still on the ice. Could they? I wish they could just keep playing like for the first few minutes of the of the next period. Yeah, it's like, look, you guys are gonna have to wait. We're breaking down Freebird. If they if they scored a goal during that last like dueling guitar solo breakdown, oh man. Yeah, that's. Do you just stay there and perform the, like, just go straight into "I like it, I love it" and "Gold on the Ceiling," like in the middle of Freebird? I think the roof would explode off of the building. Yeah, that's uh, what I think would happen. Yeah, classic, classic Bridgestone Arena performance. Yep, uh, you go down in history, all of the I've, all of the big hockey things, and then the time they blew the roof off of Bridgestone. Yes. Uh, thanks to the intermission man, Freebird. Heck yeah. Uh, Sean, I feel like we should probably end this podcast. You're probably right. Would you like to tell the people where they can find your work? Oh, Nick, I'm going to tell you. The, the people can find my work at onthefourcheck.com. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at S-C-S-O-T-F. That's uh, Sean C. Smith on the forecheck. Um, and of course I'm also appearing on a podcast with Alex Doherty of A to Z sports called on the Preds. And I'm also a correspondent on uh, renegades of puck TV, which you can find on YouTube. Yeah. Well, you can find my work at on the as well. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore NS Morgan, um, and you can also catch me every weekday morning on the Locked on Predators podcast. Me and our fellow OTF partner in crime and Kimmel do that every weekday. Uh, so, yeah, that's I, uh, that's where you can find us. I'm going to tell you, I, uh, I really enjoy that podcast. I, if there's one thing I want to hear more of, it's Anne. I love, I love hearing her talk about hockey. I hear you talk about hockey with me all the time. Yes. So it's really refreshing to hear her talk about it as well. And I'm going to say, I think we should refer to ourselves as OTFers. OTFers. What did I say? OTF something. I don't know. I just like OTFers because it sounds cool. It does sound cool. Yeah. Uh, We should all get uh, matching tattoos. No. Like the the Bone bone Street Click from uh, WWE back in the day. Now, my concern, my mom told me that she would get anything that I, if I got anything tattooed or pierced, she would cut it off. No. Well, and I, be, I still believe her. She showed me the knife. Like, it's well, probably going to happen. So be careful where you get that tattoo then. Don't just don't get the tattoo, Nick. Okay. Simple uh, solution. Well, I'm going to get the tattoo. No, you're not. Yeah, I am. No, you're not. Well, we'll, we'll see. Okay. Just tune in next time to find out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If there's anything you want us to ever talk about, tweet us, let us know, um, check out our work and, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys back here next week. Yeah. Sounds great.